Thank you so much, Miss Lori. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. I am really excited about today's message. I'll just get situated. This will go here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, as we continue to explore uh, the book of Corinthians, as we continue to see uh, what it means for our lives, Lord, and how uh, your word uh, is as relevant today as it was uh, 2,000 years ago, I pray that you speak, I pray that you open our eyes, that we may have uh, relationships that reflect you. And then we pray, amen. Again, happy Father's Day. We are in our series called Corinth, Texas. And I didn't know there was an actual Corinth, Texas. There is. It is north of Dallas. But what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Corinthians and unpacking some of the truths, some of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church and how it relates to some of the problems, some of the issues that we still wrestle with today. And today, we're going to be in First Corinthians 8 and 9, not 9 and 10, but that's okay. You guys know where we're going. Uh, and we're going to be hanging out specifically on some guidance for challenging relationships. And I'll be honest with you guys, uh, different messages apply differently, right? Some, you get theological truths. Uh, some, they can be really good for helping you understand the past. This may be one of the most relatable actionable sermons that I preach all year. If any of you struggle with relationships, with your spouse, with a kid, with someone online, this message is for you. This section of Scripture is for you. In fact, I'm going to help you guys memorize a line with the end of this message that I promise will make difficult relationships better, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 8... Verse 1, read this with me, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Let's do that again. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This is so critical to understanding broken relationships. And we talked a little bit about this last week when we were talking about marriage, but in the garden, God gives humanity three gifts. And what I said last week was all three of the gifts were uniquely selfless gifts. He, he gives us the gift of relationship in marriage, but that's a selfless gift. That's a gift where it's not supposed to be about us as individuals, but we pour into someone else, and then that person, they pour back into us. The, the second gift he gives us is kids, and I don't know if there is anything more selfless than having kids, right? Right? You have this young child who can give you nothing when they come out, right? They just cry and they eat and they sleep, and then that's on repeat over and over and over and over again, right? And yet we pour into them selflessly because we want to see them built up. And then he gives us care for creation. He says, I've built this world for you to work and to take care of. And that is selfless. And it's not until humanity discovers selfishness that everything goes to hell in the garden. All of a sudden, we're betraying our spouse. All of a sudden, our kids are fighting. All of a sudden, the world is broken. Our selfishness 
started to contaminate the gifts that God had given us. And it was all in pursuit of knowledge. That's the temptation, right? The serpent shows up and he says, do you want to know like God knows? Do you want to be wise like God is wise? Do you want that knowledge? And we choose knowledge over God. We choose puffing ourselves up over loving like God loved. And everything starts to break down. And and so Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, hey, y'all, if you're focused on knowledge, if you're focused on puffing yourself up, making yourself more important, you're, you're missing the point. And we see that in the world today, right? Like everyone wants to be right. Oh, do we want to be right. And we want to be affirmed in our rightness. We, we want people to share our rightness, retreat our rightness. We, we want the people around our kitchen table or our schools to nod in agreement in our rightness. And what Paul writes to the church in Corinth is, y'all, if that's your focus, you're already missing the point. And specifically, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about something that we don't deal with directly, but the inference is direct to what God wants to do for us. And we've been talking a lot about exegesis or hermeneutics or understanding the original meaning of the text so we can figure out what the modern application is. And what we find here is, verse 1, now about food sacrifice to idols. So let's talk about what food sacrifice to idols is, understand the context, because then the application will make a lot more sense. Corinth was a city with lots and lots of temples. This was in Rome, right? So these are the Greek gods, the Roman gods. And one of the ways you would worship these gods is you would buy meat. And the meat would be dedicated to Zeus, so the meat would be dedicated to Aphrodite or dedicated to Apollos. And they would go, they would dedicate it, and then they would sell it in the market, and the temple would get a share of its profits, And if you were to buy that cut of meat, unlike how we have different grades of, like, beef, they had different gods of beef. And so let's say you really were looking to get a girlfriend, right? You might go to the temple courts, you might find Aphrodite's pork, and you may buy some of that as a way to worship her, as a way to say, hey, I'm paying you, that that girl, that guy that I'm interested in, please connect me to them. Or if you you wanted your agriculture to do well, or if you wanted more sun or more rain, you would buy the meat that that God was in charge of. And it was a way to worship. And so these new Christians, they grew up in this culture that was how they worshiped, but now they're worshiping God, but they're still going to the temple, they're still going to the market, and they've got to buy meat. And there are some meat that's just generic, no God meat, godless meat, right? Uh, and, and then there's these God meats. And at that point, they were used to, well, when I buy Zeus's meat, it means I'm worshiping Zeus. It means I'm petitioning Zeus on my behalf. And, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 and following, he says, y'all, these gods don't exist, So then about food sacrifice to idols, verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing at all in this world. He's quoting the Old Testament. And there is no God but one, 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things have come and all things live. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, whom all things came in whom we live. This is consistent throughout the Old Testament that God says, y'all, there is one God. That's it. Everyone else is plain pretend. It, it talks about you can have a statue that eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. That's called an idol. So Paul says, guys, Zeus doesn't exist. Aphrodite doesn't exist. So if you're in the market and you end up eating Aphrodite's steak, who cares? It's plain pretend. However, he says, if there is someone who is still wrestling with that, if there is someone who is still conflicted that when they eat that steak, when they eat that pork, it's a way to worship, it's a way to believe in another God, he goes, well, now your choices are affecting someone else. Verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of having it being sacrificed to a god. They think of it being worship. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we eat it, better if we do. However, be careful, verse 9, that, you, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. But Paul writes to the church, he says, hey, you can be right and hurt someone. And that's not okay. So you can be right that, yeah, there is no such thing as Zeus meat. You're not worshiping Zeus. There's no one up there getting your prayer requests. But if there is still someone who is struggling with that, and you use your rightness to hurt them, he goes, no, 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 that, that's not kosher. That's not okay. That's not what our God has called us to. Our rightness can become damaging to other people. And we see that in the world, right? We become so obsessed with either our politics or a culture war or whatever else that I have to be right in this thing and I'm going to start throwing elbows, knocking people over. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care if it's something you're wrestling with. I'm right, you're wrong. And that becomes the main issue. And then it starts breaking down relationships. And Paul writes to the church and says, that is not what we are called to be about. You want to see this the fullest? Jesus. All right, so Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the embodiment of life and love and kindness and goodness, who created this whole world. And he shows up and he sees the absolute mess humanity has made. Right? We're going to war with one another and we're petty and we're arguing around the dinner table and just everything. And he sees all of it. And he could have said, I'm right, you are wrong. And he could have been Zeus. He could have just started throwing lightning bolts, right? You're not loving the right way. You're not loving the right way. You're not loving the right way. Smite, smite, smite. I'm right, you're wrong. He could have done that. But instead, he shows up and he serves. He shows up and he loves. He shows up and he forgives. He shows up and he uses love to build up. And that word build in verse 1, it's the same word for construction. 
He was more interested in constructing a relationship with us than first saying, I'm right and you're wrong, and until you can fully get that, you can't be with me. And so Paul writes to the early church and he goes, guys, if your rightness is getting in the way of someone else's faith, you need to give that up. You need to change for the betterment of someone else. You need to give up your rights. And then he gets into 1 Corinthians 9, and he just makes an argument. And an argument not to be right in the I'm better than you, but he just says, guys, you've watched me serve you. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? For even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, Corinthian church. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He says, y'all, I was literally sent to you. And then verses 3, 4, 5, all the way through verses 18, he goes, and I've never exploited you. I, I never took a paycheck from you. I never said you have to pay for my ministry. He goes, I did all of this for the sake of the gospel. I gave up my rights, he said, in the same way I'm asking you to give up your rights on this sacrifice to idols thing. And, and, and that's where we start to get to the application that, that's where we start to get to understanding what that means for us, is figuring out what is the primary thing we as Christians are going to be about. Because the world will tell us, in fact, even some within the church will tell us, no, it is most about being right. That's the first step. It's most about having the, the, the right title or the right place in society. And Paul says, I'll give all of that up to be a better communicator of the gospel. To be a better communicator, to be a better representative of who our Jesus is and what our Jesus is doing. To be that preacher of the gospel. And then he says the words that Lori said. And I just want to read these again first, and then I'm going to give you a different translation. Though I am free, verse 19, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave or a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those who not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I will become the weak to win the weak. So I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I may save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul had actually lived this out, and we see this in the book of Acts, what that looked like that he would become all things to all people. He would morph himself. He wouldn't change his identity, but he would change how he talked. He would change what he would celebrate depending on what group he was with. And so when he first went to Corinth, he first goes to the Jewish temple. And you see this in the book of Acts. And he goes and he learns from them and he talks with them. And he says, man, the Old Testament is great, isn't it? And it was all pointing to this Messiah. Let me tell you about this Messiah. And that makes sense because the Old Testament connects to the New Testament, totally goes with that. But then he goes to the city center 
He goes to the Greeks who don't have the Old Testament. They have all the Roman gods, like Zeus and Aphrodite. And he walks around, and he starts off by saying, y'all are super religious. That's awesome. Y'all have a rich history of religion. It's not his religion, mind you, but he celebrates them first. And then he says, and I saw that you had a statue to an unknown God. Can I tell you about an unknown God? Paul became all things to all people. He would become Greek. He would understand how the Greeks thought about things as a starting place to then talk about Jesus, to then share Jesus, to then build and love like Jesus. And it worked so well that a church in Corinth started that as they learned about Jesus, they realized, oh, I guess the other stuff we were doing was playing pretend, and yet Paul was still able to start there to get, to get somewhere else. Paul said, for the sake of a relationship with you, I will become all things to all people that I may win some. A few weeks back, AJ's going away message, he did something that I had asked him to. I had said, hey, would you write a letter to Axlander? And he did. It was beautiful. We sent it out. If you want a copy of it, let me know. I'll happily get another copy to you. But I did the same thing with 1 Corinthians 9 of, of what it looks like for us as North Austinites to become all things to all people. So I'm going I'm to share that with you now. For though we North Austinites are redeemed and free children of God, we'll use our freedom to serve anyone so that we may have a chance to connect them to Jesus. So to the native Texan, we will celebrate the history and the wonder of the Lone Star State. And to the transplant, we will admit that God does something good outside of the state borders. I know, that, that's a big thing, right? Uh, to those of a different religion, we'll, uh, we'll seek to understand their values, that we may use that as a starting place to a deeper relationship. When our teenager acts out, mm, or our parents refuse to get with the times, we'll, we'll seek to prioritize building each other up rather than winning the argument. To the Democrat, we'll seek to understand the Democrat, and to the Republican, we'll seek to understand the Republican because representing Jesus well is infinitely more important than winning the next election. We'll seek to build a platform of love as our starting point before we post on Facebook, before we forward an email or a text, or bring up a conversation at the dinner table because Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We do this all for the sake of the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose for all, and he is the ultimate truth to build our lives on. We do this all for the sake of the gospel that we may share in its blessings. We have a church of awesome parents, of awesome students, of awesome individuals. And I know almost all of you pretty intimately. All of us come from the island of misfit toys. Right? All of us are wrestling with broken relationships and, and fractured things 
whether it's around the dinner table or text messages or whatever else. That, 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 that is all of us struggling with that. And in, it's not to say that truth doesn't exist. And this is important. Sometimes we have to make decisions. Right? We, we have to let our kids know, no, you can't stay out late. So, sometimes we may have family members that it's just an unhealthy dynamic, and so we have to set up healthy boundaries. And healthy boundaries can feel like abuse in unhealthy relationships, right? So sometimes we have to do those things, but that's different than saying, and I also have to win the argument. Right? And that, that's something all of us wrestle with because we're so, t- not only am I going to do the right thing, but I have to convince you, I have to win you, I have to beat you into submission with knowledge or text messages or whatever else until you agree with me. And that is not a foundation to build anything on. It's, it's not the foundation that Christ showed up for us. No, he first served us, he loved us, he built the relationship through love. And as we learned of this God who loved us, then he built the relationship and he built on his truth that, yes, he really was Lord and Messiah, that he really could take care of everything, that there was objective truth in the world and he wanted to show it to us. But that came via love, not through winning the argument. I want to say those words again one last time. Sam, with me. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That's what God wants for our relationships. Dads, this Father's Day, that's what God wants for you and your kids. For you and your dads. Moms, wives, husbands, same thing. He wants us to build up relationships in love. And it's hard because it's countercultural. It is not how the world operates, right? The world is going to say, no, until you agree with me, until we have the same arguments, the same belief systems, the same exact thoughts on whatever cultural issue is happening, we can't be in real relationship. And Jesus comes and flies in the face of all of that. And he says, no. Love is the foundation that we build on because love is the foundation that sent God's own son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, God loves us first and belief becomes, or comes afterwards. And this is something all of us struggle with. And again, I'm at the front of the line that I want to be right. And all of us have our own unique thing we want to be right with, right? I want to be right with the finances of the house. Or, or I want to be right in which vacation we're going to take. Or I, I want to be right in how we're going to raise our kids. Or I want to be right. And as we puff up our chests, we start breaking down relationships. And we, we get a little less loving, and a little less gracious. And so we build into a rhythm as a church, a time every week where we can come and confess. Say, so, you know what, God, I, I'm still wrestling with being right. I'm still wrestling with using my rights that sometimes hurt other people. And the good news is that we have a gracious God who says the foundation of love and my death and my sacrifice still stands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so easy to get wrapped up in the world's definition of what is good. 
and what is right. Lord, and we sacrifice relationships, justifying sacrificing them because we think that makes us better or, or we think it gives us power or control. But all it really does is leave just a wreckage of arguments and mess. And so, Lord, we confess that we're still wrestling with that, that we don't always represent you well, the gospel, the good news of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we let smaller things get in the way. But, Lord, we are bold to confess because your word says that when we confess, our sins are forgiven. Lord, the, one of the first words you say to the apostles is you breathe on them and receive the Holy Spirit that whatever sins we forgive are forgiven. Not through our own power, not through our own rightness, but because your son was righteous in right relationship with you and you pour that grace upon us again that we may have a loving relationship with you and that we may build loving relationships with each other as well. Lord, we pray that you give us the courage, you give us the patience as we seek this week around kitchen tables, over text messages, at the workplace, at schools, Lord, to build up through love. In your name we pray. Amen.